0: Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. <laughs> Hello to the best listeners in the world. I have very exciting news. The crowdfunding campaign for my book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, is live. I will be sharing the link to it in the show notes, but if you have pen and paper and you want to write this down, it is located at ifundwomen.com forward slash projects forward slash bouncebackability dash factor, and I know that that's long, so I will put it in a whole bunch of places so that you can find it and see it, and I want you to be someone who has a signed copy of my book or who has an exclusive Bounce Back Ability oil that's created for this campaign or... Someone that has someone else, something else really fun. Um, So please go ahead and check that out today. I will be grateful for every penny that is sent my way. And I am so excited to take that money and forward it to other female entrepreneurs that are going to help me get this book into the world. We are birthing it together as a sisterhood. And on this particular episode, I am talking a lot about sisterhood and it is really, really important to me to create community around all of the things that we do um, and I, I want the Bounce Back Ability community to grow. I want this to be a movement. I want us to band together as female entrepreneurs to end burnout culture. So please join me. Check out the campaign. It's going to be awesome and then have a good listen to how to create more and better sisterhood in your lives. Okay, talk to you soon. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today, I am talking to Kara Karen Cefeli, who is an anti-diet health coach helping people leave behind dieting and learn to trust their body through intuitive eating, positive psychology, and holistic healing. In addition to working with clients, Kara also hosts a weekly podcast, Love Your Bod Pod, about female empowerment, body acceptance, and saying goodbye to diet culture. She's the author of two books, Body Wisdom, A Guide to Rediscovering Your Relationship to Food, Trusting Your Intuition, and Becoming Your Own Health Expert. And most recently, a cookbook called Vegan Buddha Bowls, Easy Healthy Recipes to Feel Great from the Inside Out. She has been featured on Recovery Warriors, Elephant Journal, The Feed Feed, and the Arizona Republic. Kara, thank you so much for being here today. I am so thrilled to have you because you were recommended to me to be on the podcast by my very first guest, Ashley Rose, whose episode after all this time continues to have the most listens no matter what we do. People keep going back to her episode. So I'm thrilled to have someone that she um, holds so dear to her on my podcast and to share space with you today. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, I love Ashley and I'm really excited to get to chat with you today as well. So
0: thank you. So Kara, you we just spoke for a few minutes before we started. And when you wrote in your burnout story, you said that you sort of had Two crashes in 2019, which is just last year. But when we started, you said that your first burnout was actually a long time ago in the fashion industry. So if you could start there and sort of take us through your journey, we would love to listen.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you. So I, when I was in high school, 14, 15, like about to be a freshman, I started to become very hyper focused and aware of my body and aware that people were looking and that it was something that, you know, was being admired or looked at or judged or critiqued because people were making comments. I was exposed to like Us Weekly Magazine, different fashion magazines, different stuff on TV. I had a mom who was really self-conscious of her body and always dieting. And so I essentially developed an eating disorder and I had my eating disorder all throughout high school. And As a result, I was really obsessed with like thinness and beauty. I was really fascinated with the fashion industry and models. And so I went on to to pursue uh, merchandise product development, fashion design in college, and eventually landed a really incredible, awesome job in Los Angeles as a buyer for uh, a retail fashion store, a boutique. And all this time, I still had my eating disorder. And when and for those who want some more specifics, I had bulimia. And it really impacted every area of my life. And reflectively, I can really see how my eating disorder drove my career in fashion. So I was traveling to New York and Paris, going to fashion shows, going to showroom appointments, and... Managing inventory and taking on this position that required a lot of like focus and attention to detail and at the same time Was restricting myself not feeding myself exercising binging and purging and Really felt insecure about myself and I eventually had a moment where I broke down I call it rock bottom, but I think that it could very well also be a burnout and I had gotten to this place where I just couldn't do it anymore I couldn't go on. I felt defeated. I felt alone. I was like sad for myself, but also like disgusted with like what my life had become. And I was tired of hating myself and tired of hating my body. And I had my very first like spiritual moment. I would say, lying on the bathroom floor, crying and looking at myself from up above, being like, "You something's got to change. Like you're you can't keep doing this anymore." And it was really difficult for me at the time, but I realized that like I wasn't gonna get better if I kept working in this fast-paced, appearance focused industry in this career that I had created and, and pursued. So I had to leave. And it was really difficult for me at the time. To do that, but I knew that it was what was necessary to have happen because I was probably gonna either like die or kill myself in full transparency because I was so broken because of the eating disorder. So I had eventually pursued personal development work. That was sort of the route that I took. I didn't really pursue traditional eating disorder treatment, partly because I was intimidated by it and I. Had always been someone that had kind of rebelled against the establishment, so to speak. And so I was like, I'm going to do this life coaching personal development work instead. And it all worked out. I ended up spending three years in recovery and got better and eventually, like, pursued a bunch of different jobs, worked at a law firm for four years. And later, after that stint, became an entrepreneur. So that was like my first big burnout story was like the the rock bottom of the eating disorder. And then I don't really think that I had another burnout moment until after selling my first business. So I opened up a restaurant after working at the law firm for four years. I opened up this restaurant. And if you know anything about the restaurant industry, it's constant and it never ends. And it's like 24 seven. And there's so much to to manage behind the scenes with like inventory and moving product and creating a menu and managing the employees. And you have your health inspections and your payroll and making sure you're following all of the laws and all of these things. And I am really grateful that I did this, that I took this risk and I opened up this restaurant, but I learned about six or seven months into it that I it wasn't going to be sustainable for me and that I was eventually going to need to do something else so I decided to put the restaurant up for sale and we did successfully sell it but after selling the restaurant I had a major emotional breakdown and this was my second really big burnout In hindsight, I and everyone around me and also in hindsight was telling me that I should be happy and I should be celebrating and I should be so excited about, you know, starting this business and selling and I should be on top of the world. But I just felt depleted and I felt lost and I felt confused. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And. I have no idea what's next. I feel like I have nothing going on anymore. I went from being so busy, basically seven days a week to having nothing. And I had anxiety every day and I was stressed out every day. I didn't want to leave my apartment. My dad kept being like, why don't you just like go to Bali or something or like go to Europe, like go have fun, go travel. But I like literally just didn't have the strength to like leave my apartment. I felt ashamed of myself for whatever reason, of like not having it all figured out, of not knowing what was next. And eventually I stumbled upon a life coach, like she popped up in my Facebook feed named and Thibault, the same life coach that Ashley Rose had worked with. And I started working with her. I worked with her for six months and it was through working with her that I discovered health coaching which is what I'm doing now. I had no idea that like this was an option, that this was even a thing that people were doing. I had like heard of Tony Robbins before, but like didn't really put the connection together that he's kind of like the OG life coach, so to speak. But she really helped me connect to myself. And she really helped me cultivate compassion and rewire my thoughts. And through that process, like I gained confidence again. And I, and like I said, I found health coaching and I started this business
0: that I have right now. That is quite the story. And I have some questions that came up for me while you were talking about it. You said that you were in recovery for three years. What did that look like for you?
1: Mm. So for me, it, a lot, I did a lot of it on my own, which is Probably why it took me as long as it did so I told you I had foregone traditional treatment like therapy or inpatient or rehab Or a psychologist or anything like that and I did most of it on my own and what it really looked like for me Was doing the personal development work So I did a lot of training with landmark if you're familiar with them and Mm -hmm. that actually that like radically changed my life um and I attribute a lot of my healing to that to the the And it's not like that had anything to do with food. Like I went into Landmark and like made peace with my parents (laughs) and made peace with like the trauma that I had experienced growing up because my parents had a very agrimonious divorce and they fought in court for 10 years and really in so many words kind of destroyed each other's lives and it was really hard to watch. And I had a lot of resentment and blame for my parents. I kind of blamed them for my eating disorder because – Of everything that had gone on and I had asked for help like five years before Saying I had a problem and they brushed it under the rug and so I I made peace with all of this emotional Stuff that my eating disorder really covered up that my eating disorder was the escape. It was the coping mechanism I was so insecure with who I was for like my whole life. And I didn't know how to deal with that, with the intensity of life. I didn't really know how to deal with the intensity of college. I studied abroad. I didn't know how to deal with the intensity of being overseas and being 18 and 19. I didn't really know how to deal with the intensity of the career that I had with going to New York and Paris. And, and so I didn't deal with it by binging and purging. So, when I went to Landmark and when I did this personal development work, I developed all of these tools and these skills. And I realized the power of perspective. And I realized how my mind and my interpretations of things was torturing myself, you know, like eating disorders or mental illnesses. So, recovery for me looked like a lot of personal development work. And it also looked like starting to cook. So I, I never really cooked for myself. I did not, I wasn't really raised in like a foodie household. Like my mom made food, but it was like pasta with ragu or like crock pot chili. She wasn't like someone that loved to cook. She just like did it because you gotta eat. And so I started to also really explore farmers' markets in California. I started to explore whole foods and plant-based foods. I started to really dive deep into the world of veganism. That made food about something other than weight loss. It made food about the environment and about animals and about creativity, like making new recipes. And so it was those two components that really helped me through recovery. But in all honesty, it sounds like it was like a smooth ride. It wasn't. I was a mess. I was a disaster. I was partying all the time and going out and dating around. And I, at one point, my friends were like, are you okay? We're really worried about you. (laughs) And so it was a mess And and I was a mess, but I got through it and I came out stronger.
0: I think it's interesting that you said that you, one of the things that was the major issue was that you didn't really understand how to handle the intensity of basically like adult life in all its various forms and that you gain skills through Landmark Forum and through other personal development work. Do you think that, or rather, what would have made it easier to handle that intensity? Do you think that it was something that you should have learned as a child from your parents? Do you think that there was some missing pieces because of something else? Where was the skill lacking f- from?
1: Hmm. That's a really great question. And I think that if I perhaps had different parenting, sure, yeah. would I have been more equipped had my parents encouraged us to go to therapy during the divorce? And maybe they did encourage us and I said no. I honestly don't remember. I just know that we weren't getting any type of support through this process. Yeah. And had we had more of that support, you know, and there was definitely a period of time where like my parents weren't uh-huh. really parenting. Uh-huh. And I don't blame my parents. I They were going through their own stuff with each other and with all of these things that were happening. But there were definitely a period of time where they just weren't really that involved with us as kids. We were just kind of on our own. And I've gained a lot of like self-efficacy and, and I'm very strong and independent as a result. So there's some good that had come out of it. But I think had I had someone to talk to yeah. about what I was going through I wouldn't have had such a toxic eating disorder I would have had other coping skills
0: yeah that makes sense to me and then the other thing that hit me was that you know you were in this really intense fashion career you went from fashion to restaurateur which I spent 12 years working in restaurants so I do understand very very well the intensity of that work and You sold that business, it wasn't sustainable, you made that choice, so technically you were doing something good for yourself, but the thread that I feel, and I can be wrong, so if I am, just let me know, but the thread that I feel coming through those things is that your identity was tied up in what you were doing? So, first it was tied up in fashion, and then it was tied up in being this restaurateur. And when you left these things, you said you had a major emotional breakdown. Everybody's telling you you should be happy and you should do this and you should do that, but you didn't know, you were confused and you didn't have direction. And it seems like Had you had a strong sense of identity, that would have been also an area that would have been easier for you to handle. Yeah, there's definitely a component of that. You know, as someone who
1: is as high achieving as I am and who's as ambitious and driven as I am, I've always identified with my career. Mm. So even like in between the fashion and the restaurant and I had this corporate job, I had like a sense of pride and like confidence of like, look at me, like looking at this fancy, pansy sounding job. Like I (laughs) definitely, like my identity absolutely was wrapped up in it. And with the restaurant, even though like it was successful by many measures, once I didn't have any work, I felt like I didn't have any worth. Yes. And, I, and I think that that's still something that is in my space now, you know, of, of me attaching so much of my worth to what I produce, to what I'm providing, how I'm being of service, what I'm creating, how much money I'm making. It's a continual like spiritual process for me to not identify with my job. Whatever it is,
0: yeah, me too. And I'm a, and I'm a burnout coach. This is my expertise, and it's still something that I have to work on. And you said when you wrote to me that a couple of your burnouts were this year, and one thing that you wrote that really hit me was, you know, I realized that physically stepping away is not the same as mentally and emotionally stepping away, and that to me is a clue that says that my worth and my identity are so tied up in my business that when I'm abandoning my business, quote unquote, abandoning, when I'm, t- when I'm removing myself from working, I feel like I'm abandoning a piece of myself.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Like way to really get to the root of like what that was. And that, that has been a huge lesson for me is like, is exactly that of like, just because I'm not posting on Instagram, If I'm shaming myself, if I'm beating myself up, if I'm afraid of the algorithm screwing me over, if I'm afraid of like people forgetting about me, I'm not actually really getting any restorative break. My mind is not getting a break. So my creativity is not getting a break. My energy is affected. My mood is affected. Like it's not truly a break if I'm mentally stressed out about it.
0: Yeah. I have a a question that might be a little bit intense. Okay. Okay. Do you think that you traded body shame for business guilt? Mm, I don't. Okay. No, I've been in such a good
1: place with my body for so long. Okay, well, some thoughts
0: are coming through. Some yeah, thoughts. yeah. We'll give it a second to to percolate. One of the yeah. things that you wrote about, you know, hating our body is a defense mechanism that we've been trained to do since birth, and it's an avoidance strategy. And one of the things that I noticed working, especially with female entrepreneurs that have burnt out more than once and sort of have this repetitive pattern, is that working in our businesses can also become an avoidance strategy. Like as long as we're successful in our businesses, then we don't have to deal with the crap in the background.
1: Hmm. Sure. I could totally see that. Like I can see that happening. Absolutely. I think for me, a lot of my, when I'm thinking about this, like, okay, how did I, how did I see my body as being important? Right? Like I wanted my body to be thin because I was afraid I'd lose love. I was afraid that people wouldn't like me. I was afraid that people would make fun of me or judge me. And I felt like my access to a happy life was being thin and pretty. Right. When I think about my business, there are some overlaps. I don't think that my business is what gives me love. I think that, like, even when I'm in breakdown or have a slow month, like my boyfriend is amazing. My friends are amazing. My family is amazing. I don't think I'm going to lose love if my business doesn't do well, or if I was to stop doing what I'm doing and get a job. So there's not that, but there's definitely an element of pride that comes from being an entrepreneur. There's an element of my confidence and self-esteem that comes from having a business and doing my own thing and forging my own path. There's definitely a sense of like, not sticking it to the status quo and and kind of rebelling against that. So there's definitely pieces of my like, self-worth and identity wrapped up in it like still I can absolutely see that. But I don't think if I've I don't think I've traded like shame around not working and maybe it's partly because it's just nowhere near as intense and dark.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that you said I think is massively massively important and you mentioned that when you were going through these things the first time people were telling you to feel happy. And, you know, when you went through what your parents were going through, you felt like you were alone. And then people are telling you to be happy at different points in your life. And you feel totally disconnected from that because you don't feel happy and you're not understanding. And what you just said now is that even when you're going through things you have your family you have your boyfriend you have this community and it sounds like the big major difference in those things is that now you have you've created for yourself a community of people that you know will support you through everything
1: yeah yeah i feel very grounded in my relationships these days which i couldn't have said that you know 10 years ago 7 years ago
0: Yeah, that's something that comes up a lot on the podcast is this ability to have a community um, around you. So at what point, and it might not have been intentional, it might have just been a natural progression of doing personal development work and working with a coach, but do you feel like there was a point where you sort of made an internal decision that you were going to be choosy about your community?
1: Hmm, I think that... It's, in to some degree, it's been very gradual and it's been through like learning my limiting beliefs and my fear of judgment, my fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. It's been developing my communication skills. It's been getting more confident in who I am and and the ability to create boundaries or voice my needs, et cetera, et cetera. And there is one key component to the community which I have right now, which is sisterhood and all of my girlfriends Mm -hmm. and all of my fellow entrepreneurs. But there was a time in my life where I had very deep sisterhood wounds Mm -hmm. from various things that happened in childhood and happened at school and falling out with a, a best friend of many years and feeling rejected and always in competition with other women and never feeling good enough and caught up in the comparison trap. And as a defense mechanism to protect myself from feeling rejection or hurt from other women or feeling like I wasn't good enough for them. I just kept women at arm's length. Okay. I made this decision that I would rather be lonely. I didn't fully aware of what was happening at the time, but like I chose loneliness over potential rejection from other women of us getting together, getting becoming really good friends and then something happened and then me losing my friend. And so for many years, I just didn't have a lot of great girlfriends And so it really took me seeing that, seeing that like, wow, I've intentionally pretended that I'm a guy's girl, that Mm. I don't need other women, that I just need a hot boyfriend and I'm good. Me like pretending like I don't want to have a girlfriend to get my nails done or like to go meet up for coffee, pretending that I'd rather hike by myself all of the time. And it took me getting really honest with myself and actually seeing that I did want deep relationships with women. And I wanted this intimate Connection and sisterhood. You know, I, I have two brothers. I never was very close with my mom, and I really yearned for that. And that was a very pivotal moment in the community that I have. Because had I not done that internal work, I wouldn't have the community I have now, and I'm so incredibly grateful for the fact that like, you know, there's like funny memes on Instagram where it's like behind every successful female entrepreneur, there's like a whole like gang of women on the text message (laughs) talking her up. Yeah. Every time I see them, I just laugh because I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean.
0: That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I actually had, I think for me that sisterhood started, I do have a sister and we are very close. But we lived in different places for a long, long time. And the first time I realized how much I needed and relied on sisterhood was a time where my best friend and I got into a really, really bad fight and we didn't speak for two weeks. And when we did, we ended up working through it and it was okay again. And even to the point where our relationship was better than it was before. And that was the first time that I really stopped and looked at my other relationships in my life and said, wow, I don't let myself do that with other people. Like I, with other women, I am generally afraid that I'm talking too much, asking for too much, um, not giving enough, even though it is my nature to be a giver. But I, I feel like I'm never doing enough. And that if I mess up, that my penance should be their rejection. Like I choose that for them before even allowing them the chance to respond. So whenever I feel like I've messed up in a relationship, I, would, I used to step away from it without giving the other person a chance to forgive me. Mm, yeah. And, and
1: so I want to ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what was the impact of that
0: realization? The impact of that realization was me starting to get really honest about when I'm feeling uncomfortable with the other women in my life and giving them a chance to forgive me when I feel like I've done something wrong. And what I learned when I opened up to them about that was that most of the time I was worried about something that they didn't hear, see, notice, feel. Mm. So I was just telling stories. This sounds like something stories. you understand. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah, girl. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. just like, I'm like, I are like, like, even if like someone doesn't text me back for a while, yeah. I'll make up all of these stories about how they're mad at me or they're too busy for me, or they don't like me. And I'll have to catch myself and be like, Kara, like they might just be in the middle of something. Chill out.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what is it for you? How do you know now? Within your sisterhood, what is it about your sisterhood that makes you feel safe? I guess is the question that I actually want to ask. Mm.
1: Part of it is that we have been through a lot of deep experiences together. Mm-hmm. So, like going to women's retreats, traveling to Peru to drink ayahuasca, sitting in, you know, spiritually based circles where we get really vulnerable and raw where we where we really talk about what it is that's really going on and we allow ourselves to be really seen by each other and then still not being rejected, like being accepted okay. and honored and loved even more for the vulnerability that we share. I think that that is the biggest component is that we've all just like really seen each other and still really love each other. And it's made us really close because it's like we we know their deepest, darkest secrets and what we've been through. And a lot of us are also entrepreneurs. So we just speak each other's language and we understand what it's like to be on this road, which can sometimes be really isolating and lonely. So those are the two things that have me feel really safe. And then also just probably that like we're in communication all of the time. And if something is bothering us, we've done enough work to be able to vocalize it.
0: Right right this re- reminds me like of this very typical thing that so many people have you know that if if so and so finds out x about me about my personality or about my past or about whatever it is that i'm telling about my story then they won't love me anymore or i will be rejected by them and there are these like pieces of our stories that we keep hidden that way from people. And my experience was very much the same. As, as soon as I decided that I could say, hey, listen, this is my like secret box of scaries that I'm gonna <laughs> open in front of you right now. And somebody witnessed them and nothing changed. I thought, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, and you can like
1: breathe and relax. And when, yeah. when someone receives you and sees you and still loves you, it's like a weight's lifted. Yeah. You can be yourself around that person. You don't have to pretend anymore.
0: Pretending is really hard. I'm guessing that there are people listening right now that are like probably sweating, thinking I don't have anybody in my life that I can do that with. And that would have been me probably five years ago. So if there's somebody out there right now that's listening and is saying, oh my God, how do you find these women And like, where does this happen? Because I do not feel like I can do that with people. And I do not feel like I have that freedom. Do you have advice for them? Yeah, absolutely. I can share also
1: the places where I've found those women. Mm. And I think that that will help. But I do think that the first step is just acknowledging that you want that, that it's a missing in your life. And you want to cultivate that trust and vulnerability and intimacy with other women you know, where I have found them has been sometimes just through friend groups who are, who are also on this personal development, spiritual awakening type of journey. I have a couple of really solid friends from Landmark. Now, more recently, the women that I've cultivated these really deep friendships with have actually happened through women's retreats. Or through joining online group coaching programs, and either I went, I was in like a a business accelerator program for heart centered entrepreneurs, which is where I met Ashley, Mm -hmm. and then her and I did another business accelerator program together. And so I've gone, I've made a ton of amazing friends through that, who we text on a regular basis, and we hang out, and we talk on the phone, and we call each other, and so those have like putting myself out there and putting myself in groups of women is where I have really found my closest friends. And I've even seen it in like the group coaching programs that I host, that I hold myself, where I take women through like the food and the body recovery process, the the vulnerability that occurs in that container and the relationships that come out of it, the like deep, like soul sister bonds that come out of it. It's incredible to witness and it's being willing to be vulnerable. And even if you don't join a group coaching program or you're not an entrepreneur or you don't want to go do personal development work, that's okay. I actually think the key ingredient is being vulnerable yeah, and speaking how it is that you're feeling and even just saying like, hey, I want to get closer to you, but I'm a little afraid. Yeah. Just being honest about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you don't necessarily have to go out to find it. You can start to cultivate that with the people already in your life by simply voicing it, by speaking to
0: it. Yeah, chances are they want it too. Yes, that's been my experience. Yeah, mine too, mine too. So maybe that will be the encouragement that somebody needs. Like both of us have had that experience that when we've opened up, somebody has said, well, yeah, I've always wanted that too. I just didn't think you'd let me in. Yeah, or that you didn't want it. Or that you didn't want it in the first place. Yeah. And so can we, I want to ask your opinion on something that is, because I think that sisterhood and community is so crucial to burnout recovery that I want to stick with this topic for a little bit. I had a question in my brain that I just totally (laughs) lost (laughs) because I'm reading my notes and trying to think of things at the same time. Oh, There's so much information now about building boundaries and about protecting yourself and about, and I talk about this a lot in my own work, but I feel like we have to be careful about it because I have this sort of fear that people say, well, I was vulnerable and she didn't let me in. So now I'm going to cut her off. Right. Mm. There's a lot of like, cut the toxic people out of your life you know, hashtag toxic relationships all over the place. And there, while there are toxic people and toxic relationships, I don't know if that's the majority of what's happening around us on a regular basis. If somebody opens up and decides to make themselves vulnerable and somebody doesn't necessarily respond to the way that they, that, that makes them feel safe, what, what next? Like what, 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 what should they do after that? Mm. So if we were in like a coaching container and you were yeah. to like
1: bring this situation to me, my yeah. question to you would be like, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. So like to really ask yourself what it is that you actually really want, like what's going to make you feel taken care of, what's going to help you have your needs and wants met and to start there. So like, yes, could we turn to the hashtag toxic relationships and immediately cut them out? Sure. Is that what you want to do? Does that feel most in alignment with what it is that you want? Or do you want to reach back out to this person and say like, hey, your response to me sharing this wasn't what I was anticipating and I kind of feel this way. Can we talk about it? All right. So it would always just be like, what feels most true for you? Because I don't know if there's like a one size fits all, but I would always invite people back inward And ask themselves what it is that they want for the situation.
0: Yeah. I think that that's, um, I think that that's really important. And I think that it's really important to talk about because there is so much emphasis now on, well, if they don't support you, it means, you know, they should be gone. And that's not always how it works. Sometimes when you're in a relationship with someone for a long time, and then you bring a new vulnerability that they weren't ready for, they need some time just to sort of absorb what happened and decide what they want to do with it. It's not that they're being evil or toxic. It's just that they're surprised and we need to give them time to react. We need to give people a little bit of space for grace, you know, in, in that kind of process.
1: Yeah. The compassion and empathy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So you said then after all of this learning and all of this stuff and and kind of all of this personal development and creating this community around you and having your sisterhood, you still sort of touched on burnout twice this year. So can, can we talk about that part a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I am definitely someone that loves to work and loves to get stuff done. And when I was first starting my coaching business in like 2018. I was just posting on Instagram every single day, responding back to every single DM, blogging all of the time, writing my first book, hosting. I hosted a few group coaching programs that year and then had a ton of like one-on-one clients. And then we transitioned into 2019 and I decided to join this business accelerator program with Ashley and so the hustle just kept going and it was like okay now we're building this new big program now we're raising your prices and selling high ticket and so and then I started working on the second cookbook I got the cookbook off the second book sorry I got the cookbook offer so I was in this accelerator program I had over 10 one-on-one clients was building this new coaching program Writing this cookbook in this sisterhood, going through this online program, and eventually I got on one of the group coaching calls and like broke down and was like, I like don't want to do anything, I just don't want to do I just like don't want to do my job anymore mm-hmm. and that and she was like, "Oh, like the Kiara the leader was like, Well, you need to give yourself a break and I was like but i i I have been like I've been posting less. Like I I'm not doing a newsletter every week. Like I I'm doing more solo casts that don't require as much editing on the podcast. And she was like, But are you really giving yourself a break? And that's when I discovered that the like literally stepping away isn't the same thing as mentally and emotionally stepping away. And so I had like a full and this it was my it was like my first burnout or like what I knew to be a burnout where I wanted to just throw it all away. Yeah. But it was the first time that I like actually gave myself. I took 2 weeks off like in the middle of all of this. I took a full 2 weeks offline. I didn't work on the cookbook. I still showed up for my one-on-one clients, but like basically really deeply was like, okay, I'm going to actually really step away and give myself a break. And it was really hard at first. To like really not worry about it. I had to consciously let go. There was a lot of surrendering that kept happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of just being like, okay, you're okay. Go on a hike. Take a breath. Go on a walk. Why don't you watch a movie? There was a lot of days of like crying, thinking that I'd never feel excited to go back. A lot of days of just like, maybe I should just not do this anymore. But eventually that momentum came back and that excitement came back. So that was like the first one.
0: Yeah. So, what do you think now if you had to explain to somebody what it means to mentally and emotionally step away? What does that mean? What does that look yeah. like?
1: Yeah. When we decide, like, hey, I'm going to not post on Instagram today, I'm going to not open up the app, how much of your time is spent stressing out about the fact that you're not online, <laughs> that you're not showing up, that you're not creating content? So to me, that's like you're physically stepping away, but you're not really mentally and emotionally stepping away because you're still thinking about it and you're still worried about it. So really mentally and emotionally stepping away, not just physically stepping away, is getting to a place where you can like truly not worry about it, where you can truly give yourself permission and trust and know that it's like all going to be okay. Your work will still be there when you get back. How many days did it take for you, do you think? it took me like six days to okay. finally be like, okay, it's okay.
0: Yeah. My life but is this, not falling apart right now. My business right. is not dying right now. Yeah.
1: But the, the most recent burnout that I had this last of the year, it took me a, a lot longer, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's the way it happens though, isn't it? And then you give yourself also permission for it to be a little bit longer because you know that eventually you'll come back around. Yeah and i think that that's a natural part of of burnout is recognizing it and giving yourself space to come back from it and realizing that you don't always control the timeline yes yeah absolutely and i think that's so the past couple of weeks i went really 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 busy in the beginning of january and for the past week, I keep getting announcements from my Kindle about how great I've been about reading because when I need to totally separate myself from kind of being on all the time, I disappear into books. And mm-hmm. I disappear into like chick lit beach time, you know, like romance stories that... and. Otherwise, I only read personal development books. But when I'm not in that mode, I shut down by going into that kind of story. And I'm on my fifth book in six days right now. <laughs> wow.
1: I mean, I just want to acknowledge you for finding something that that allows you to get out of that space. It sounds like Easily is
0: that yeah, yeah, it's super easy for me now and it's super easy for me now because i've had a lot of practice I know what I need to do to get there And i've stepped away in really extreme ways before like a couple of years ago My husband and I went on a 120 kilometer Skiing trip on cross-country skis in northern finland where there was no such thing as cell phone service or cell phones at all And the batteries would have died in four seconds because it was like negative 13 degrees outside anyway um and so i i was i've been in positions where i could not access anything so I couldn't worry about it because it didn't matter. Like I had, you know, there was just, there was absolutely no way of me connecting to it at all. And so I've learned very quickly that I can break those ties for myself really easily when I want to. And for me, that's getting, dis- that's disappearing into, into a book. If, because if I'm like people Netflix sometimes, but if I'm Netflixing, I will open my Instagram like 15 times during the course of a 20 minute show.
1: Mm, Yeah. So you found what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. And I, this is, this had come up for me when you were saying that like, you couldn't worry about it because you were offline. Yeah. Like I had to like literally delete the app from my phone right. because I did not have the ability to not open it up. Yeah. I would just like automatically go over there. And I think something also that really contributed to the burnout and the breakdown was just how attached I was mm-hmm. to the vanity metrics and how attached I've been to getting likes and to getting comments and to getting, uh, like positive reinforcement and feedback from content. And it was really hard for me to like, not get that.
0: Well, and it's actually like scientifically proven that it works similarly to like sugar and cocaine in your head. So, right, I've read that. <laughs> right, it's a, it is an actual addiction. Like the, the dopamine bursts that we get from scrolling and getting likes is massive. The, one of the reasons that I actually went into all this reading was because I had an article go viral last week. Nice. And it was lovely, but I had so many comments to respond to within 48 hours. And I found myself being unable to put down my phone. And I went, okay. It only took 48 hours of being totally in it for me to be like, okay, back up. Yeah. You know, like I could feel my body just like shutting down because I was just like, next, next comment, you know, and it's not okay. So I totally understand those vanity metrics and that sort of like the bump that you get. And what people don't realize, it is actually like a chemical bump that you get. It's not that you are attached to it for no good reason. Like this is an actual addiction. This and they, they're the apps are created that way on purpose. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. So so stepping away from it really does you need to know what it is that works for you to be able to get away from it sometimes because there needs to be some space where so you don't attach your identity not only to your business but to your telephone. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like you are definitely further along in that process. I have gotten I've made a lot of progress in that area over the last year and I know that I'm still I'm still in that process of detaching and I'm still in that process of having my transition be quick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I will say that I am totally into it. I mean, I do spend still way too much time on my phone. <laughs> so I'm just, doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Something that has been tremendous for me is like giving myself permission not to post every day yeah, and and actually seeing that even without posting every day and being so on top of it that like my business is, is still doing fine and making money. Yeah. That was like such a big fear of yeah. mine, which is probably what led to the burnout was that if I am not always all up in it, that... There won't I won't be successful that like I'll lose it all and being able to see that like wow I haven't consistently posted for months. Like I've been very inconsistent for months and like Just had my like highest grossing month today Which (laughs) blew my mind because I really burnt out at the end of last year So you like you had said you can't predict it You had mentioned a little bit of like not being able to predict the time or when it's going to happen.
0: Yeah yeah, you can't predict what, exactly when it's going to happen. And you can't predict exactly how long it's going to take you to, to come back around when, when you need it. I had some questions come up today. Um, on my, I did one of those like question stickers on my Instagram stories. I was mm-hmm. like, what are your burnout cues? And somebody wrote, well, I've been in this for a year and a half. Am I ever going to feel normal again?
1: She's been in a burnout for a year and a half.
0: Been in recovery from burnout for a year and a half. I mean, recovery from burnout is not all that different from recovery from any sort of other like major process in your life. A year and a half is honestly pretty normal. Mm. Honestly, pretty normal. So she was like, am I ever going to feel normal again? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you will. But if you're stuck, like get on a call because we don't need to leave you there. But like you said, you know, a lot of people, like you did your bulimia recovery on your own through personal development work, a lot of people are doing burnout recovery on their own. Mm. I and, also
1: yeah, didn't yeah. know that coaches were an option because yeah. had I had known about coaching, just I probably would have sought it out. Right. I just didn't know it existed. Instagram wasn't a thing.
0: Yeah. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But people still do try to do it on their own because especially people that burn out tend to think that they can do everything on their own anyway. Right. Just one I of the reasons we burn out, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. I could totally see that parallel.
0: So then when we burn out, we think, oh, I can fix this by myself mm I know better now. I've like
1: consistently like had coaches in addition to like my whole army of girlfriends. yeah, I like can't do it on my own and right. not even can't
0: don't want to me either me either. I don't want to anymore either. I really did want to for a very long time and I'm not interested in in it anymore. yeah, <laughs> Kara, I can't believe an hour has passed because I feel like. I could be on the phone with you for another hour easily because I feel like the things we're talking about, everything that we're talking about is so massively important when it comes to burnout. But I think the most important thing that I want people to take away from this today is that having sisterhood and having community is really important. And the first step, like you mentioned, and I think this is really important, is acknowledging that you want that. No matter what your previous experience was or what your other fears are about female friends um, in your life, acknowledging that that's sort of a necessary part of feeling safe and whole in this world is a massive, massive, massive step one. So I just want to say thank you for mentioning that here today because I really do find it superiorly important.
1: Yes, this has been amazing. I can't believe an hour has gone by either when you said that. I was like, oh, wow,
0: (laughs) this has been awesome. Do you have anything that you would like to leave people with as we finish off today? Ask for what you want Mm
1: -hmm. with your girlfriends, with everything in life.
0: That is an amazing piece of advice and so often underutilized. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much for being here and sharing your time and your wisdom and your experiences and your energy with us. I really am excited to finish up the season with this discussion because I, I really do think it's so important. So I really appreciate your time and your energy. Thanks for being here with me today.
1: Yeah, it's been an honor. Thank you so much, Caitlin.
0: All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I really want you to consider the female relationships in your life this week, or if you're a male, I want you to consider the male relationships in your life. Do you have a brotherhood? Do you have a sisterhood? Do you trust people enough to hold you when you're showing them your ugly bits? Um, This has been a massively healing thing for me in my life in the past five years and something that sounds like care ahead as well. And I would like you to just take some time this week to consider what kind of people you would like to have around you and who you would like to allow yourself to be with them. And on that note, I will talk to you next time.